the panel on RNZ reaction, uh, RNZ uh, National. Uh, we have Simon Wilson and George Siliano this afternoon. Reaction to Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister, stepping down. We'll have an uh, international reaction from Natasha Frost from the New York Times from page Also, our former leader David Cunliffe, uh, he'll join us uh, after the 4.30 headlines uh, and others uh, as well on the programme. Now, um, your uh, comments coming thick and fast. Wallace, I'm very pleased Ardern has resigned and the next step is to vote this Labour Party out in October. I have never seen my country so divided and so broken, says Debbie. Uh, Julian says, I think the Labour Party should get Mickey Mouse to lead them now, better than any the others they have. What a great day for New Zealand this is, and what a mess to clean up. Uh, I would like to see Karen McNulty have a go at Prime Minister. He, like Luxon as a first-term MP, has read Ute, uh, an example of his character, uh, i.e. make do with what you have. So, look... Um, Loving your feedback this afternoon. How did you take this news that uh, Jacinda Ardern is stepping down? You can text me at 2101. And who would you like to see replace um, Jacinda Ardern for the leader? Uh, So her last day uh, as Prime Minister is... 7th of Feb, uh, Ms Ardern resigns at just 42 after becoming leader just over five years ago on October 26, 2017 and was New Zealand's youngest ever Prime Minister and before that youngest sitting MP in 2008, aged 28. Uh, She insisted uh, she was just burnt out and had nothing left in the tank to continue. I am human, she said. With us is Professor of Politics Richard Shaw from Massey University. Kia ora, Professor Shaw. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, kia ora also, Georgie and Simon. All right, so yeah. uh, <laughs> taken by surprise along with everyone else, Richard? Yes, yes, yes. I, I can quite honestly say that when I got up this morning, this wasn't what I was expecting. I, I think those of us who, who have an interest in these things, um, you know, happy that Christmas is over because politics, as usual, resumes and we might have been looking forward to some policy announcements and a cabinet reshuffle uh, and an election date, and we got those, but I don't think anybody outside of Ardern's immediate personal and political circles would have seen um, what we also got, which was the resignation of, of this particular Prime Minister, so completely taken by surprise. Yep. But since she's made that speech, in a very uh, emotional speech, you know, she's saying that I would be doing a disservice to New Zealanders to continue, and it's been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life. You can get a sense that really, uh, Richard, this was it for her. She did have nothing left. I think the tank is empty, um, to paraphrase the soon-to-be former Prime Minister. And one of the reasons why it's empty is because she more, I think, I mean, Simon will have views on this, um, having been around for a while too, more than any other Prime Minister in the post-war era, this one has faced significant crises. So when she talks about having to make hard decisions, she speaks from a place of considerable experience. Um, and what has been particular about some of those crises, the Christchurch massacre, uh, what has happened with the global pandemic, has been the human cost that's um, been exacted on, on people and on the country. Uh, and so she's expended a lot of personal and emotional capital, I think, um, in leading the country through those sorts of things. I'm sure we'll get on to the things that she didn't do, and that might explain the reason why you've been getting some of the feedback that is uh, celebrating her departure. And that is um, happening too. Richard, do you want to comment on that before we go to yeah, our panellists? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, one of, the thing, one of the reasons why the Prime Minister didn't address this, but it's very clear to anybody who uh, stands still for long enough to pay attention to what is going on, that in the last couple of years in particular, the Prime Minister, as as has been the case for other women parliamentarians, not just in Aotearoa, but globally, 
has been facing increasingly um, violent uh, rhetoric, increasingly abusive behaviour from New Zealanders, both in embodied forms and, and in online uh, context. So there is a toxicity around the civic discourse in this country, which was not present, I think, even five years ago. It, it's possibly a function of what has occurred in, occurred in the post-pandemic era, and that kind of vitriol takes its toll on people. Uh, it's clearly taken a toll on her. And so that, I think, there, you can see this happening in social media. There was a kind of a glorification you know, of this woman's departure. And behind that, I think, um, in some context, there lies a really uh, distasteful and unwelcome and unlooked-for misogyny. Uh, and so I don't think we should lose sight of that. There is absolutely a legitimate political conversation to be had about her policy achievements and those things that she promised as a transformative prime minister that she did not imagine. But we really need not to lose sight of some of the vitriol that is increasingly directed at our woman parliamentarians. It's a big R part of this. Richard, it's, Richard, it's Simon here. Can I ask, just ask you a little more about that? Do, do you think that phenomenon is driven by social media or is social media really just a reflection of it? I, I think it's probably a, a mutually supportive relationship, Simon. <laughs> I mean, social media allows somebody who dislikes a woman to, um, to spread those views fast and far and without doing so in a public forum. So you can hide behind your keyboard and you can say whatever the hell you want, and there generally aren't uh, significant consequences for that. So, so the media, I think, the, the different forms of media have been instrumental in that respect. But they don't create, you know, none of those platforms create the kind of dislike of or hatred for Māori people or women or people with disabilities or whomever, though they simply allow those kinds of views to be amplified further and faster and more loudly, I think. Georgie? No, I completely agree. I think we, we've all seen it, right? Like it, when she would do her live streams through through the the, 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 the main bit of the pandemic, that when, when the pressure was really on, the amount of horrific comments and you can tell it's all just bots and it's automated and there's hundreds of comments within within seconds it definitely i mean people want to blame someone for for difficulties in their own lives and i definitely think as a country we've we've got some challenges and that divide does feel more present than i think it has done in the past so let's blame jacinda ardern um and i do think that's the mindset that a lot of people uh, have got into and I have certainly notice, noticed it from, from older men. Um, I'm sorry for any older gents that are listening. <laughs> um, but I have really found that to be quite astonishing. Like there's almost this, this hatred towards her. So it's been nice today to hear some, some people ringing in and, and having some more positive things to say and, and actually being a bit more reflective of, as you said, Richard, the, the toll that, that anyone um, – would face after the, the five and a half years of, of, of the job and the crises that have that have occurred. And still they keep on coming. Uh, someone says, yeah. uh, I'm a total fan of Jacinda and I cried watching her. She's not deserved the brutal treatment from trolls and hateful people. She has worked so bloody hard and she should be applauded as a great New Zealander and a role model for young women. Although someone says, good riddance, it's the best news this year. She has ruined our country. And Wallace, emotions can be faked. I appreciate you reading out the negative comments, uh, says someone. No, it's, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a bit uh, on either way and uh, mm. they're flooding through. I appreciate all your comments, Kira. To that, uh, Richard, uh, to what happens now with later Labour? The next thing is, be, of course, is choosing uh, a new leader. Who would you pick? 
<laughs> or who get asked me what the process would be, Wallace? First, that what is the what First is the process? process? Well, the, Labor's or Labor's got a two-part process. Uh, the second part is only necessary if the first part doesn't deliver a result, and and I don't think the second part will be necessary. Um, Labor's rules are that a leadership uh, election will be held by the caucus, and 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 if a candidate, it might be Megan Woods, it might be Chris Hipkins, it might be David Parker. I really have no idea secures 60% of all caucus votes plus one more, then that person becomes the next leader of the Labour Party and, by virtue of that, the next Prime Minister through until the election, which we now know is going to be on the 14th of October. I'm, I'm, I'm as near as certain as I can be without being involved in these things in any way that that is what will happen, because if it doesn't happen, Labour has to set up an electoral college uh, in which the caucus has 40% of the vote, the affiliated members have 20% of the vote, um, and the broader party organisation members have 20% of the vote. And that's, uh, so it's like a primary, essentially. That would signify a contest. Labour will not want that mm. contest. It will want a single candidate to emerge from the caucus room on Sunday and say, I am the leader of the Labour Party and therefore the Prime Minister, because it really doesn't want the distraction of a competition being held in the public domain. I think that process could take three weeks. It could take longer. Yeah. So, so, my, so my pickers will have a leader fairly shortly. OK, well, now we're going to go to another listener on that, on uh, their uh, take. Uh, do you have any... Well, who do, you, who do you think it might be? Look, that, I mean, I'd, I'd just be making stuff up, Wallace. Yeah. I, I really don't have a sense. I think most of us would have thought that Grant Robertson, in an, in an alternative universe, um, Grant Robertson might have been the person who would have become the next Prime Minister. He's not putting himself forward for the competition. You look through the, the, the list of ministers in Cabinet, um, you know, maybe it would be Megan Woods. There are experienced people like her, Hipkins, the Attorney General, David Parker. But I genuinely have no feel. There certainly is um, nobody who has the kind of wattage and star power that Ardern had, particularly in the early days. One thing that will be interesting, I think, is who, and I don't, I imagine that what will actually come out of, of, of that process will be uh, two things. There will be a leader of the Labour Party. Uh, parliamentary Labour Party, and there will be a deputy leader as well. And so there was something around who it is, you know, maybe a young Kitty Allen or somebody comes through as the deputy leader just to, to attend to gender issues, uh, generational issues, uh, Chao Māori and so on. So th- there's more to look right. forward to, I think, than simply who who is the next leader of the Labour Party. OK, let's get a comment from Georgie. No, I completely agree. I I was shocked about Grant originally, and the more I think about it, I, I sort of think that that rebrand, that genuine, the PM's gone, Grant's been her right-hand man for, for, for years, even before she was Prime Minister. So I think that's probably starting to make a little bit more, more sense to me now. Yeah, I think, Georgie, um, Wallace, can I... Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll go. No, go for it. Georgie's hit on something really important there. That relationship between the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance um, has always been a really significant one in New Zealand politics, apart from when, when Sir Robert Muldoon combined both of those portfolios, in which case the relationship was with himself. But uh, you, you can think of some of the, the, the great pairings, um, Clark and Cullen, Key and English, Ardern and Robertson. Um, so Georgie's right. Uh, the other thing I think that, she's, that she goes through is this is, um, to the extent that there is an upside in this for Labour, it allows them to draw a line under the Ardern years, which have become increasingly conflated with the COVID years. There are a lot of people who just want to move on. Uh, you can't because the thing is here. It's still killing people. It's still putting people in hospital. People are still getting sick. But emotionally and cognitively, I think the load is really, uh, it's heavy and people want to put those years behind us. And in part, that's become... 
uh, Ardern has personified that, or she's been the, the recipient or the target of the wish to do so. So you draw a line under her and her finance minister, and perhaps you get an opportunity to, to reposition Labour as a post-COVID party and tell a different kind of story. Okay, Simon, final comment. Well, I, I, I think George's, Georgie's uh, comment right at the start of this, this programme uh, was a really good one. Kiri Allen is the MP in the Labour caucus with uh, charisma uh, and the admiration that's pretty widespread. I think. Yeah, so I'd be looking at her. You know, you don't want to put a commentator's piece on it. But I think also in relation to Grant Robertson and uh, the, sp- the finance role, especially, uh, if they are, if the party is looking to start again, uh, they know that Grant Robertson, for all his extraordinary efforts, has not managed to win the business community. Uh, there are a whole range of criticisms from the left and the right about the way in which the economy has been managed and it's a separate thing if you like from his own personality it wouldn't surprise me too much to see him lose that role and in, in favor of somebody else coming in and refreshing there as well very good hey professor richard shaw kia ora. i appreciate your time this afternoon on the panel uh, it is uh, 20 past four. By the way, we didn't get to um, the I've been thinking, both with Georgie and Simon, so we'll <laughs> sneak that in somewhere in the show. It's always good to hear what um, has been on the panellist's mind, aside from uh, this. But let's now go to Justin. He has been listening in. And are you there, Justin? Yeah, yeah. How are you doing, Wallace? Good, thanks, mate. Look, uh, OK, so you hear the news uh, today, this afternoon. What's your take on it? Oh, it was it was a shock. I think, like everybody, um, didn't expect it. Wasn't expecting that today. But um, hey, Jacinda, in my opinion, has done a great job, and I'd be tired if I'd done the job she'd done. So good on her. And he is hoping the new people in charge are as good as she is. Who are you hoping, or who are you thinking that might replace Jacinda Ardern? Well, to be honest, I've always liked Chris Hipkins. Um, some people might disagree, but I found him to be a stand-up guy. And one of the things I liked about Jacinda was that she was a person, like all Kiwis are, and good on her, you know, for being a real person up there. And I hope Chris carries on that torch. All right. Good on you, Justin. Thanks for your time. All right. Now, just Jacinda Ardern hasn't just had a big habit here in Aotearoa, but across the globe. We're joined by Natasha Frost from the New York Times in about half an hour. But to tell us what the reaction has been in Australia, we're joined by a journalist and columnist with the Sydney Morning Herald, Peter Fitzsimmons. Peter, hey, thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's Fitzsimons, but very close. Sorry, thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for that. Now, Peter, what perception uh, did or does the Dern have in Australia? Generally, I would say very positive. Obviously not universal, but we're a nation that recently elected a Labor government by 20 seats. And at the very worst of the period of Trump, I think Australia looked upon Trump as very, the Trump era looked upon it very askance. And at that point, Jacinda Ardern from here looked like, well, this is, she's the progressive light on the hill. You know, she was the one that showed how a progressive leader could, could, could go really well and be very popular. And obviously, I don't live in New Zealand. I'm not across the policies she's done. It's not for me remotely, you know, to even think to lecture New Zealanders on the, on the <laughs> whys and wherefores. No, well, it's not. The whys and wherefores of Jacinda Ardern, I don't know. But I can say that from the Australian perspective, 
she was generally very popular and you can see you know twitter australia right now i just saw magda sabansky who's one of our more treasured actresses just put out a tweet just how gutted she is that jacinda adern is standing down yeah, I guess one thing uh, that comes across, Peter, is um, you know, uh, not many leaders across the world have that um, that sort of um, exposure that almost everyone in the country may know them. There's a handful of leaders, aren't there? But do you think that Jacinda Ardern was one of those? Yes, I mean, again, I'm aware when you went through that shocking tragedy in Christchurch. The, with the, the, the killer in the mosque. The empathy and courage she displayed there, I thought, again, was a beacon to the world. I have, I have the impression, again, I don't know the details of the policies, but she was good for the empowerment of women. She was strong on climate change. I don't know this part, but I gather that, the, at least in her first term, um, on economics, she was strong. That she, she showed competence, empathy, and she was a young woman. I think when you still, I'll stand to be corrected, but was she not the youngest leader in the world for a fair chunk of time? And, and as a woman, she was the zeitgeist of the time was empowerment of women, and she was emblematic of that. And as I say, at the time that both Great Britain and the United States was going through hard right-wing conservatism. She was a beacon for the other way of doing things. And from our distance, from and not universally in Australia, but for a lot of us, it looked to a lot of us like she was doing it really, really well. I note the warmth of the remarks of our own Prime Minister, uh, Anthony Albanese today, really warm about what Jacinda Ardern had meant to him. Great to have you on, Peter. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and those uh, comments uh, Anthony Albanese said, uh, Jacinda Ardern has shown the world how to lead with intellect and strength. She has demonstrated that empathy and insight are powerful leadership qualities. Jacinda has been a fierce advocate for New Zealand and inspiration to so many and a great friend to me. Now, this uh, element of toxicity uh, has been commented on quite a bit. You see that, don't you, in posters and protests, comments on social media during the recent uh, illegal occupation of Parliament grounds that um, apparent hatred was fully evident, claiming the Prime Minister was a mass murderer, demands she be removed from office and executed for crimes against humanity, for example. Uh, With us... is Suze Wilson, a senior lecturer uh, at the School of Management at Massey University, who has written on this issue widely. Dr. Wilson, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Good to talk to you. Do you think that this is a part of why she decided to step down? I think it's hard to see that it's not. She's talked about, you know, not having much left in the, the tank, and we we all know the kinds of you know, extremely challenging issues that she's had to face during the time of her premiership. Some of the things that, you know, you've been talking about, like the um, the pandemic, the Christchurch terror attacks, um, Kerry White Island and so forth. But, you know, all of that, and particularly over the last couple of years, you know, has been overlaid by a, a, a level of, you know, outright abuse and threats of violence that, you know, it's just hard to think that, you know, she wouldn't be affected by that. I mean, surely anybody would. Over and above vitriol that other uh, woman leaders 
have had, do you think, I can recall Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Jenny Shipley saying that, you know, she received um, some flack as well. Yes, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a long-standing problem and, you know, our previous women Prime Ministers are on record talking about the kind of um, sexist conduct that, that they were subjected to. I think, you know, Ardern is... Um, our first woman Prime Minister really in the age of, of social media and that has allowed um, and facilitates you know, the spreading of, of that kind of um, uh, you know, abusive behaviour behind conditions of anonymity. Um, and you know, it, uh, of course, you know, because we've also been in kind of a crisis situation, those kinds of conditions tend to heighten people's um, you know, inclination towards kind of conspiratorial worldviews and, and all of that's been a key driver in this too. All right, Georgie. I think it's interesting with Jacinda Ardern that we have heard her increasingly talk about um, a sort of a, a social uh, cohesion issues. We've, we've heard her talk about mis- and disinformation, but she's actually never really come out and say, I'm actually copying a lot of misogyny and sexist remarks. And I think the sad reality behind that is probably that if she had said that, it would have just been this outcry of, oh, she's pulling the misogyny card. And I think that's probably been quite a deliberate um, a deliberate thing for her to have, to, to have thought about in terms of how she addressed those issues. I, I think you did right, because I think had she spoken about... Um, the stuff that was being specifically directed at her, um, yes, partly people would say, oh, you're just trying to use that as an excuse. Um, but also, you know, it would be, I think, be interpreted by those engaging in that behaviour as vindication that they were getting under her skin. Mm. And of course, you, it tell, you don't does it tell them they're winning? Yeah, you don't want to tell an abuser that their abuser is hurting you um, because it, it, it tends to just make them make them worse. Simon. Um, Simon. Yeah. Come, yeah, come, so, come uh, on with this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, it's a real problem because if we don't talk about it, uh, then it just sits there and is so corrosive. And we do talk about it. As Sue says, it, it, it uh, can be encouraging. I wrote about this a bit in my column this week when I talked about Waitangi, uh, where there is not going to be a prime ministerial breakfast, mm. uh, which has been a terrific tradition that Jacinda Ardern started. And I'm sure would ordinarily have been continued by whoever was going to be the next prime minister. Um, I've been to that breakfast. It's an extraordinarily informal and friendly and wonderful celebration of the best of what Waikani stands for. But it is also pre-COVID. It was also the, the moment when I saw more security, more police determined to make sure nothing went wrong than I can remember in any other political occasion. In other words... At Waitangi, there was already vigorous debate. There was already a sense that it was a dangerous open-air environment, but they were able to manage it. Yeah, but they've now decided they can't manage it. And that mm. means that walkabouts in, in uh, shopping centres, uh, shopping malls, uh, in, in streets, at school fairs, all those sorts of things that we really do like to think are an integral part of our electoral system, the way in which we conduct democracy and politics, mm. they're all at risk now. And not because there's a great groundswell of feeling against the Cinder Ardern or anything else, but because there is a pretty small number of people 
who are out to read this. And, and we need a kind of nationwide response to it. We need our, all our political leaders to be calling it out. Yeah, not just those who have been directly targeted, but everybody. Yeah, we need to kind of stand up to this. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, uh, actually, no, we've got a bit to go, but Dr. Suze Wilson, uh, kia ora. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Um, and meanwhile, the feedback uh, keeps on coming more of that. And uh, a few, too, who, in, who, who, who think it's a jolly good job that uh, Jacinda Ardern is going. Um, someone says, I'm appalled that the hatred speech towards Jacinda is being repeated by Wallace Chapman on the station. Look, it's, it's only fair uh, to um, have a real reflection of the sort of feedback coming through. And in fact, trying to get uh, um, some people up who uh, want to see Jacinda Ardern go. So we'll see what we can do about that. But for, for the meantime, it's 28 to 5. You're on the panel RNZ National. We're with Simon Wilson and George Stiliano.